2019 was an interesting year for us. Um, we had a number of things that, that went on. Uh, my wife uh, had surgery, it tended to be a little more complicated and recovery a little longer than we thought. Uh, Josh was selling a house, so we were fixing up that farm. And then he moved to a new farm and we fixed up that farm. And then my mom decided to move into assisted living. So I had to go down to Dallas and take care of some of that stuff. My sister and mom did most of it. So we moved that and then Jimmy uh, and uh, JT and Aaron bought Liz and Earl's house. So we were gonna fix up his Sioux City house and make it a rental and then at the last minute we decided to sell it. And so uh, I have moved more junk in 2019 than I care to have moved. As a result of that, by fall, I was on a new mission to get rid of clutter, to look at things and say, do I really, really need it? If not, I got rid of it. As I head into 2020, I am even more passionate than I was in 2019. So I'm, I'm on this deal to start going, you know what, uh, I, I just need to figure out whether or not it's really important and what's not. And as we head into 2020, we start to do that naturally. You know, you start, you start going through your files and figuring out what paperwork you need to keep for the IRS and what paperwork you don't. Uh, you, you, you figure out what calendars you need to get rid of. You know, you take down your Christmas stuff by at least March. Uh, you, you know, you, you start going through this process of saying, you know what, I, what do I need to get rid of? What do I need to keep? What's important? Uh, what's not? Uh, you start taking some time to kind of looking back. And, and I understand that uh, Wednesday's just a date. But, you know, it'll be the first time for 2020. And uh, it, it's one of those deals where it's, it's, it's just there's something about January 1 and a fresh start. And so this morning, as I, I want to talk a little bit about that concept. And, and I know some of you are like, I don't do resolutions because I'm never going to keep them. Uh, I, I understand that mindset. But there comes a point at which I think it's always healthy to stop every once in a while and kind of evaluate where you are, figure out where you want to go, and figure out what you got to do to change in order to get where you want to go. And I know my wife and I do this. You know, we spent uh, this past couple of days actually sitting down and going through some things and saying, okay, this is where we are. You know, where do we want to be in five years? Uh, what changes do we need to make to get there? Um, what, 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 how do we shift things around? And so. You know, we just spent some time kind of looking at those kinds of things. But um, one of the things that I'm finding is that most of us do okay with success. However, when it comes to failure, we don't do so well. And what I find often, and I'm finding it more and more and more with the generations coming behind us, 
is there is no skill set or very little skill set in how you deal with failure. And what I am finding is that with the younger generation in particular, um, they equal failing and failure as the same thing. And I'm hearing things, and my wife and I are seeing things. Uh, for instance, you know, I'm seeing things like these kids go in per, for a performance review, and the boss says, this is, this is what you need to improve on, and they go quit because they feel like they failed. Uh, because they, or they come back, and they, they're all depressed because now they want everybody to prop them up and tell them, you know, what a wonder, because that's what they're used to. And what's happening is we're handicapping the kids. We really are. And I, 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 some people are really harsh to blame the kids. I don't. I think it's our fault. I think those of us who raised them have a big part of ownership in this thing. Um, because, you know, we, we have not prepared our kids to fail. We have not taught our kids a skill set on what you do when you fail. You know, they get an F on a test, and I watch parents come rushing into the school to tell the teacher why they're too hard or why the teacher needed to change or what the teacher did wrong. Instead of looking at your kid and going, guess you got to study. You remember what your parents said? You remember what my parents said? Better study harder next time. <clears throat> you know? And why? Because we, and then we had to figure out how we brought that F up in order to be able to pass the class. And instead, as parents, we're like, oh, I can't let my kid get an F. And so we go rushing in and correct it. Or the coach yells at our kid and our, tells him that, you know, he needs to work harder. And then we, we, you know, well, that coach has always been hard, blah, 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 blah. You know, and so we've kind of cushioned them that way. And they've really never had to struggle or, 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 fa or deal with failure. Um, I, I think... Even, I, I think even in our, even in Christianity, I think we do this. Um, in our theology, we've, we, we've taught, we're teaching people that uh, God, if God, if, you're, if God blesses, it's success, and when God doesn't, it's failure. Um, for instance, and again, Please understand what I'm saying, because I'm walking on this very, very thin line here. But I, I watch people with, that come up against health issues, and we pray for God to heal them, and they get healed. And this is what I see on Facebook. God is good, cancer-free. Awesome. I get that. But you could have stopped with God is good. God is good regardless of what my diagnosis is. I'm thrilled that we're cancer-free. That's what we prayed for, and God answered that prayer. But God is still God if that prayer didn't come through. And it's almost like, okay, if God answers my prayer, then, then, then I'm successful, and I'm good, and I'm happy, and if he doesn't, then I failed somehow. And, and when I talk to people who go through something like this and the cancer comes back, that's the first thing that comes up. What have I done that are, that's made God mad? You haven't done anything that made God mad. God's more concerned about your character than he is your success. 
And, and so this whole idea of failure, this whole idea of failing, um, I, I think we really need to wrestle with this as we head into a new year. Because some of you look back, and, and again, I, I get a front row seat to life. And so often when people come to the end of their lives, I hear these kinds of stories of, you know what, I wasn't a good dad because I didn't do this. I wasn't a good mom because I didn't do this. And, I, and, and these people beat themselves, which my own dad do it, beat themselves up over the past and, I, I, and feel like failures. And I, I think it's interesting, you know, you really have to ask yourself, here, here's an interesting question, okay, for instance. When does failing become being a failure? The, I, I think there's a Bible answer to this. It's found in the Old Testament when, when God says, a righteous man falls seven times and gets up. Now, that's an oxymoron. Well, that's not success if you've fallen seven times. I mean, after six times, you're like, you know, okay, just stay down. But God says, no, 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 the righteous man always bounces back up and gives it another shot. That's success. Not quitting. That's why God honors faithfulness, to keep plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, plugging away. So I want to deal with this this morning because I think there's a great, I think there's a story in the life of Christ that I think is helpful to us. And then there's a lesson from the Apostle Paul. And that's kind of where I want to go this morning. So let me give you the background. John chapter 21. Here's the, here's the text. Here's the idea uh, before I get to the text. Uh, Jesus has died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He met with the disciples. Okay. So let's talk about the mindset of the disciples now. The mindset of the disciples is different than what you and I often think. All right. The disciples, it's not until later in the life of the disciples that they get it. At the point that we're going to look at the story this morning, they haven't gotten it yet, right? You see, the disciples were the typical people of the day. They hated the idea that Rome was telling them what to do. And they wanted somebody to deliver them from Rome. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he talks about kingdom and he's talking about a new kingdom and a new way to do it, In their minds, the disciples are thinking, we are going to be part of the new king and the new kingdom, and we're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to be in charge. And the disciples always have kind of this mindset about this new kingdom with this idea of, we're waiting for that new kingdom, and we're going to be, you know, and in fact, at one point, they even asked, you know, mom comes up and asks, hey, can my two little boys sit on one side, and, you know, can they be like number one and number two? And, and, and Jesus has to explain to them, no, that's not what this is about. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, their dreams shatter. Even when he comes back from the dead, their dreams shattered. Because they don't understand how he's going to rule in, in the state that he's in. And so we find this story... Jesus has already shown himself to them. They know that he's alive, okay? So that's where we find the story. John chapter 21, um, listen to it, and here's what it says. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would have been James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. 
And they said, we'll go with you. Now, let's stop for a second. Here's, here's, here's the mindset, I think. When Jesus called these guys, they were fishermen. That's what they did. That's what they knew. That was their occupation. Now they're standing around, twiddling their thumbs, going, okay, what do we do now? Do we go into all the world, and do we go and do the things that Jesus wanted us to do? And Do we do all of these things? What do we do now? And Peter, like a typical guy who loves to hunt or fish, goes, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going fishing. It's like, you know what? The kingdom thing didn't work out. I gave it three years. Don't know what else to do. I'm going to go back to what I know and what I've done all my life. I'm comfortable doing that. I was good at that. I made a living at that. I'm going fishing, boys. And they look at each other and go, okay, we're all in. And so notice what happened. So they went out, they got in a boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, look, if you've ever been fishing, you've had these days where you don't catch anything. So I don't think this is anything new in their world, but it had to be somewhat frustrating because it's very explicit. They caught zero. Nothing. They've been out all night. And then notice what it goes on to say. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples didn't recognize this Jesus. So Jesus standing on the shore, watching these guys. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Have you caught anything, boys? Nope. And he said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. Okay, now, just stop for a minute. These are seasoned fishermen. It's a stranger on the bank. He says, you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Throw it out on the other side. Do you listen? See, here's the thing. At this point, these guys are like, you know what? We've, I've tried every lure in my box. Now, that's not what they use, but I've tried every lure in my box. You know, I, what's it going to hurt? Sure, why not? And that's what it said. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. So now all of a sudden they go, okay, we're going to, and what they would do is they're big casting nets, and you, you, you throw them out, and it would sink to the bottom, and then you yank it, and when you do, the thing comes up, and it, it grabs all the fish. And they can't even pull the thing in the, in the boat. There's so many. And then, notice what it says. It says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this would have been John, who's writing this, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his iron gallon around him for he had taken it off. Think of it as the, the concept of, uh, you know, you're on a boat, you take off your shirt, Get a little sun, puts the clothes back on, puts coat back on, cloak, whatever. Jumps in the water. And the other disciples followed him in a boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, this is interesting. Jesus hadn't been fishing, but he's got fish. And uh, there's bread, and Jesus is standing there. Now, I want to—I don't know if I'm going to look at the next passage next week or not. I haven't decided yet. But if not, you, this won't hurt to you to do anyway. Go read the rest of the story. 
Because the next story is Peter and Jesus, and, and Peter, Jesus confronting Peter after his denial. Okay? And we put a lot of stock in some of those stories. And, you know, fast forward, if you don't know the story, what happens is Jesus confronts Peter and he says, do you love me? And he, they go round and round and round, and, and Jesus makes him say it three times, and then Jesus forgives him and moves on. Uh, here's what's fascinating about the life of Peter. Peter's mentioned about 150, I think 158 times in the New Testament. Almost 70 times occur after this event. A third of all that you know in the Bible about Peter happened after he had denied Christ. Because why? Because what you're going to find is, when you study out the life of Peter, what you're going to find is within 30 to 60 days of this, he's preaching at Pentecost, and 3,000 people get saved. Um, and God uses him in a great way. Because Peter didn't let his failing make him a failure. He picked it up, and he went on. Um, and so, you know, as you look at this, as you look at this story, um, there's all kinds of great little tidbits and lessons in it. But here's, here's something to think about. These people felt like they had failed. And I imagine spending all night not catching even a fish was somewhat devastating to them. Uh, but you know what? When somebody, when a stranger said, throw it on the other side, they were willing to listen because they were that desperate. They were like, you know what, we've got nothing else to lose. Why not? Even though all night long, time after time, throwing the net in, came up empty, it came up empty, it came up empty. One of the things that I see often with people is you beat yourself up because you feel like you have failed so many times why, that you just quit. As a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, um, you keep trying and trying and trying and it doesn't work out. And you're not getting anywhere with it and you just keep going on over and over and over again. And, and, and before you know it, you start to believe what your head is telling you and you just stop trying. You know, I, I think it's interesting when you look at history, history's amazing on, on this topic. Uh, a couple of things. Winston Churchill, they considered him a failure because they said he looks funny. He was short and fat. Uh, they said of Beethoven that he would be hopeless as a composer. Walt Disney was fired because he wasn't creative enough. They told Thomas Edison's mom to take him out of school because, here's what they said, he wasn't smart enough. And yet, history has set a whole different story. Because those people didn't believe what they were being told. They didn't believe what everybody wanted them to think. And that's what I see often and often over and over again is we start to listen to those things in our head and we start to quit. Here's a question for you. When the disciples were failing at fishing, where was Jesus? He was there. He was there as they failed. And he let them fail. For a time. 
And then when they listened to him, things started to head the other way. One of the things that I, I, I want to challenge you with, because I think we forget this, is in times of struggle, Jesus is still there. You know, when you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells you, and he is always with you. You will never, ever be alone ever again. And in whatever you go through, he is there. And I think sometimes we forget that, and that, that's one of the things that frustrates me as I see people, it's like, okay, God was there because he answered my prayer. No, God was there all along. And you go, yeah, but it's, I'm going through such a hard time. It's so difficult right now. God is still there. But here's the thing you have to understand. And again, I've got to be careful how I say this. God's not interested in your success. God's interested in your character. He's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your character and Him being honored and glorified in and through your life. And the good and the bad. And you have to remember this. It's a principle of life. In order for there to be successes... There have to be failures. In order for somebody to have first place, somebody's got to have second. That's that's one of our problems in our culture. We've we've given away participation trophies is that everybody's first. And then when they get into the work world and all of a sudden the work world doesn't work like that, You know, when they give out company bonuses, they don't look at it and go, okay, everybody's going to get the same amount. We understand, George, you've been with the company for 35 years, but you know what, George? Susie, who we hired two days ago, gets the same amount you do. You know? No, it doesn't work like that in the real world. And yet we've conditioned a group of a generation or two to think that's the way that it works. We condition a generation to always prop them up and not realize this world is ugly and harsh and mean and tough. And you had better have that character to say, no matter what comes, I'm going to stick it out. And we have to develop that within our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. You know, and, and what, what's happened is, and sometimes... When the kids fail, man, those are some of the best things. And you think about it for a second. Have you grown more in your successes or your failures? What's pushed you harder, the good times or the hard times? What's developed you as a person more? Um, I'll be honest. I, I fear if we ever go into an economic downturn in our country, I really fear for anybody under the age of 30. Because we have a whole generation that's not learned to live without. You know, and even my generation, I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't go much with, without. There were a couple of situations in my life where it got really, really tough. But as a whole, no. You know, and, and, and I just struggled because we, we I, I think, and, and I don't know how we do this, but I think we have to give kids the skill set to be able to deal with and handle failure and pick it back up and go on and not drag it into your future. And I think one of the keys to that is Paul. Listen to what Paul, Paul's in prison. 
In Philippians chapter 3, he writes to the church at Philippi. They're going through a tough time. They're under persecution. Paul's probably gonna, Paul is going to die um, because of his faith. But he's in prison at this time, awaiting trial slash execution. And here's what he writes to them. Not that I have already obtained all of this. Or I've already arrived at my goal. Paul said, I, I haven't made it yet. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He said, Jesus Christ came to this earth, saved me, put his faith, I put my faith and trust in him. So you know what? I'm going to continue to put my faith and trust in him. And because he took a hold of me, I'm going to keep pressing on for him no matter what. And he's writing this in prison. Okay? Then notice what he goes on to say. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, I have not made it. This is Paul now. But one thing I do, he said, you want to know the one thing that I have learned in this whole thing of Christianity and walking with God and trying to do what's right? One thing I know, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, look, one thing that I do know, I've got to put the past behind me and I've got to keep my eyes going forward. Now, when Paul says this, you know, we look at it and go, well, he's Paul. No, no, no. You don't know the story of Paul. Because before he was Paul, he was Saul. And when he was Saul, before he became a Christian, his job was to execute Christians. His job was to imprison Christians. He would go into a synagogue. He would go into a church assembly. He would go into a home. He would say... Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, Son of God? Yes. Take him out. Put him in prison. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of Messiah? Yeah. Execute him. Drag him away from their families. Moms, kids, whatever. Kicking, screaming. Drag him away. Put him in prison. We're going to put him on trial. And if we find out it's true, we're going to kill him. That was his job. So the Apostle Paul, very realistically, as he went back into synagogues and churches, can you imagine after a service, somebody coming up to me saying, um, you don't remember me, but back before you were a pastor, before you became a Christian, um, you came into my house and you hauled my dad off to prison and they executed him. A little hard to listen to you today. Imagine the guilt. Can you imagine the guilt of knowing that people died because they called themselves Christians and Saul's job was to put them in prison? Paul didn't let that get to him. Paul said, forgetting what is behind. I'm not going to take my past and drag it into my future. I'm not going to take that which I've, my failings, areas that I failed, and drag that forward into what I've, I've got one eye on Jesus Christ and I'm focused on that and I'm going to keep going forward and I'm going to keep pushing away and I'm going to keep plugging away and I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to do better tomorrow than I did yesterday. That's what I'm doing. And I'm not going to let that past drag me into it, drag into my future. Can I challenge you as we head into a new year? Let the past go. You know, and for some of you, you're like me. That's really, really hard to let stuff go. 
because I can't tell you the number of times, because I had a system this year for cleaning up some of the stuff on my farm. I'd put it in a pile and leave it there for a couple of weeks to see if I'd need it again. And it was so tempting to go, you know, I might use that one day. And I thought, you know, I haven't used it in 15 years. You go, yeah, but you don't know, Pastor. The second I let it go, I will need it. And you know what? That happened to me. And I survived. I was able to do, go on without, you know, what happened, I had, a, I had a motor that I had. I had, I had two motors. I, literally, I had them. I have moved them. I don't know how many times. Motors off the of lawnmowers. Okay. I had moved them last year. I, there's probably seven or eight different times I have moved them. And finally, somebody was needing a motor, and I said, I got two I want to get them out of. You can have them. Not a week later, I blew up the motor in my lawnmower. And I'm like, and that motor would have fit. And I, I jokingly told the person, and they're like, well, you can have it back. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm going to figure out something else. I do not want it back, you know. And I was able to survive it. And, you know, it, you go, well, that's silly. But you know what? Here's what I watch. I watch people take their past and drag it with them everywhere they go. And they're trying to serve God, and they keep going, well, you know, I want to, but, you know, i got this, and I'm not that, and I can't do that well. And, and, you, know, and, and you know, and if I try to witness, I mean, you know what they're going to say about me because they know how I really live. And that, Time out. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into the things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to keep plugging away. You're going to get in your car. You're probably going to either look at the little root. If you've got one of those things, backup camera things, and it's not all covered with dirt, and you can actually see it, you're going to look at that as you back out. Then you're going to look forward the rest of the way home. That's the way you live your life. I look at this past year and go, you know what? There's some things I want to change. There's some things I want to do different. My wife and I sat down this, this past week, and we... We sat down and said, okay, this is where we want to be. Some of the stuff we figured out, some of the stuff we're still figuring out. This is what we're going to try to do differently this year. We're focused on this year. Not on all the things that went wrong last year. Those are just simply guidelines to help us as we go forward. So, I, literally, I, you know, I, you, look, I may only have today, but you need to know, I have my vacations and trips booked all the way through to the end of August right now. Because Lord willing, I, I intend to see some things and do some things this, next year because that's what we want to do. That's what we set down as our goal. That's what we're looking forward to. And I just want to challenge you because I, let me tell you something. I, if you could just live in my shoes and listen to what I hear, and I hear so many people come to the end of their life and say, I wish I would have done this, I should have done this, I should have done this, and I should have done this. And I'm like, you know what? That's not going to be my story. You know, I'm going to change it while I can. I'm going to focus on what, and I'm not going to beat myself up over all the things that I wish I would have done differently. And I want to challenge you, because some of you, as you're heading the new year, it's like, you know, I don't make resolutions because I won't, you know, I'll never keep them, so why should I even try? 
Well, let me ask you something. Isn't one day of a resolution better than no days of it? Isn't a couple of days or a week? Or God forbid, it could last like the whole year and change your life. Look, as you go forward, put the past behind you. Some of you, you need to get rid of some stuff. I mean, literally, get rid of some stuff, okay? Some of you, need, yeah, don't be poking husbands and wives and all that. You know, yeah, see, he's talking about that closet you have, or he's talking, no, he's talking about, you know, all the acreage that you've got. Go clean it up. No, I, look, some of you, 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 you need to get rid of some stuff. You know, some of you need to sit back and say, you know what, there's some things that I need to change. I need to change the way I'm handling this relationship with whoever. I need to change some things at work. I need to change some things with my kids. And we talked about this in Sunday school, and this is so important. You want to be right, or you want a relationship? Because I watch people all the time choose to be right and blow off the relationship. You want to try to focus on, you know, again... You know, I want to win that argument. Have you ever thought about this? In order to win, somebody has to lose. Okay, did you really win? You know, I mean, stop, stop and look at where you are. Stop and look at, did you do everything right last year? No. And if you did, please see me because you can speak next week. We've all got stuff with you. We've all got stuff. I have found, if you're like me, the stuff that I need to change is overwhelming. So here's my suggestion to you. This is what I learned at conferences. Just pick one thing. Just pick one thing. Because, see, if I just pick one thing this year, and then I pick one thing next year, and I pick one thing the following year, in five years I've changed five things. If I try to change five things this year, I'll get overwhelmed and won't get any of them done because I kind of one of these, one thing I do, single focus, that kind of idea. Focus on one thing. Focus on one thing. And for my wife and I, we sat down and said, okay, this is what we want to focus on this year. Um, this is, this is kind of where we want to be, and this is what we're going to spend our t- energy on. And I want to challenge you to do the same. For those of you who keep beating yourselves up, stop it. That's Satan winning. The Apostle Paul, who had put people to death, was able to say, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on where I'm going and where I'm headed. So I end this morning this way. As we head into this week, as we head into this new year, my challenge is this. We're reminded that failing and failure are two very different things. God is more concerned with your character this year than he is your career or your comfort. He desires for each of us to be faithful, to continue to serve him regardless of circumstances that come into our life this year. So keep your focus clear. Put the past in the past and work towards being the kind of person that God wants, desires, and plans for us to be. Let's pray. Lord, help us.
Lord, I understand it's just a date on a calendar, but Lord, it is the opportunity for us to stop and kind of look back and reflect. Throughout history, Lord, the Jewish people have done this. Lord, may we take some time this week to really reflect on where we are and to choose something, Lord, that we want to focus on changing, making it more like you want it to be in each of our lives. And Lord, as we come to the end of, Lord willing, the end of next year, may we be able to look back and once again see successes and failures and focus, Lord, on being better than we were the year before. So use us, Lord. And may people see Christ in us as we seek to serve you with our whole heart. These things we ask in your name. Amen.